What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. It is Wednesday. You have made it more than halfway through the work week. We are getting ready to get into Friday Eve. That's tomorrow. So we got a lot to cover today. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. Hunter Biden pleaded not guilty to a gun charge that he had already pled guilty to. Wow. We'll break that down. Government spending. I think we're all in agreement. We are headed for a government shutdown on October 1st. And Kevin McCarthy in the hot seat trying to figure out if there's actually a deal, getting heat from both sides of his members. We'll break that all down. Plus, more aid to Ukraine. President Zelensky of Ukraine is in the U.S. He's talking to the U.N., but then he's headed to Washington. And I don't think he's going to have the same reception that he had nine months ago. We'll talk all about that. Plus, activist and organizer Scott Pressler. You may be following him on Twitter. You may have seen his work in the past. He is out there hitting the pavement, actually registering people to vote for Republican candidates. He's going all throughout the country. What's it like? What is he doing? Who's supporting him? How is he actually getting this done without the support of the National Party? We will break it all down to you. Let's get into it. All right. Well, I've been continued to be blessed and uh, just shocked, frankly, by the amount of support we're getting for the show. So thank you for that. I love the people who are sharing this with their friends. I got a couple nice emails, in fact, uh, through my website, seanspicer.com, through my locals, seanspicer.locals.com, saying, we found you after Newsmax. I'm so excited to get you back. Thank you for that. Please make sure you are subscribing and getting those notifications. Uh, this is how we get judged, whether we're growing and doing well. And because of you and your support, we are. So thank you for that. Um, but the more you can share and tell people where, where I am, where we are growing and where we can be helpful, that's it. So Apple uh, Podcasts is super helpful, always the audio version these days, but then obviously YouTube and Rumble as well. And I appreciate everybody tuning in on the first as well if you have DirecTV. Well, some of the big news that came out since last night's show, Hunter Biden is pleading not guilty to the gun charges specifically. Now, you might remember he had three charges levied against him, and there was an indictment about this gun that he purchased in 2018. What it all stems from is he made a false statement on the federal form, um, and then prohibit. And then once he got the gun, he possessed it. Uh, now the Dems are saying it was just 11 days because then it was thrown into a trash can near school. I digress. But at the end of the day, he lied about his drug use on federal form. Now here's the thing. He already pled guilty to this. Now, I know that probably legally they say you can't use that. So, but we know that 
if you're the prosecutor and you know that he's already pled guilty, then you know you got a pretty good case. Secondly, he filled out a form saying he wasn't using drugs. Well, the guy wrote a book saying he was using drugs. He tested positive when he was in the US Navy for doing drugs. That's what got him kicked out, okay? And he has been very open in his speeches and his interviews about using drugs. So I'm not really sure how you plead guilty to say, yeah, I checked a box saying I wasn't using drugs, but I've been very open publicly on in several forums uh, about using drugs. That's kind of a tough one to come back on. I mean, as a prosecutor, I'd be like, this is a layup. I'll take that one. I'll take the drug one, I mean, the gun one. Um, obviously, I, I don't know how you plead guilt, not guilty though, um, because you've said it so often and you've been pretty blatant that you did use it. Um, as I noted many times, I think it's always, it's really interesting to see these Democrats, by the way, who claim that there's nothing to see here. Uh, it's also interesting. And I had someone tell me this after the show yesterday. They're like, I heard that, you know, you mentioned that he's suing the IRS. Dude, I, I think at some point the lawyers were like, uh, maybe a little less. Yeah, we don't need to, to ratchet it up. But he is going after those IRS agents. I mean, this is a guy who didn't pay his taxes for two years and then wrote off a bunch of really shady stuff that there isn't an accountant in the world that could tell you you could do that. Wrote off his adult kids' education, the use of strippers. And, you know, I, I just don't know how you think that's a normal deduction. But that's not even what this is about. This is just the gun stuff. Um, so we'll see. Also, up on Capitol Hill right now, or earlier today, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, he was facing the Judiciary Committee. Remember yesterday we had Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee here. Uh, this, this is going to be a long time coming, man. I mean, the fireworks were going all day long. The Republicans were loaded for bear. Garland knew that this was not going to go well. Um, he was trying to make the case, I'm not the president's lawyer. I'm, I'm not con Congress's prosecutor. Um, look, I think that this is an opportunity for the American public to see what's happening, though. Um, this Justice Department getting having asked getting asked over and over again about these indictments, the tactics that are used to pull out, if you will, the two-tier system of justice that's happening. I mean, this is unbelievable. Um, and so good on the Republicans for getting the heat on the attorney general. He needed to know, you know, to, I think this, this sunlight, this disinfectant to this transparency that we're able to see gives people an understanding of what's really going on. And him sitting there and saying, I can't answer, I can't answer. I still think that that's helpful because they get to watch the process and they get to watch the attorney general saying, I can't talk about that. Well, of course you can. You're choosing not to. Um, all right. But a lot more to get into because this government spending deal is not looking good. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Let's get back to what's the big, big issue in Washington right now. Government spending. The fiscal year comes to an end at the end of September. So we are not that far away. On October 1st, if there is not a plan in place, everything shuts down. And normally you get one or two bills done uh, of the 12 appropriations bills. Right now they got one. 
they don't even have the defense bill done. And that's usually the easy one. The, some of these folks in the House said, no, no way. So this is going to have profound consequences. People who are in the military are going to feel it in a way that they haven't before because they're usually always taken care of. Now, people will argue, oh, they'll all get paid back and whatever. I, I'm sorry, I get that. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you might get paid back in 30 days or 60 days. But if you got rent to pay, if you have a, a car payment or a credit card payment, or you just got to get food, uh, that matters. And I think we have to understand that for a lot of folks in the military and a lot of folks at the lower end of the scale, this is a big deal. So where do we stand? Here's the deal. There was a deal to put a plan in place. I mentioned this yesterday. The House Main Street Partnership with the more moderate folks and the Freedom Caucus. And with the Freedom Caucus, we're talking about Chip Roy of Texas, Byron Donalds of Florida, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. These are the leaders of the conservative movement. These, these are folks that took over from Jim Jordan when he gave up the chairmanship of the Freedom Caucus. These guys were saying it was a good deal. It cut spending, it dealt with the border, but you've got a bunch of guys now that are saying, no way. Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene. The problem that I have is give some people a domain, say, here's what we need. And it's all this jello. Uh, if, the, you know, you can't at this point, Give us something, because by the way, the Senate has this bipartisan deal. What, what's being passed is just a starting point. But this is going to look so bad on Republicans who are up for re-election, who have a very narrow majority. So they got to get their act together and message better about what they're doing. I talked about this on a radio program this morning. Focus on the border. That's so obvious. The mayor of New York, the bluest city, is saying... He's appalled by what's happening, that his city is getting overwhelmed. So guess what, Republicans? Why don't you jam this administration and say, until you fund the border, until you close it, until you commit to more agents that you're allowed to do their job, that we won't do this. I can get on board on that. I think most Americans can do that. I bet you most Democrats can get on board. That would be a great thing. Come up with a plan. Right now, they, the Democrats are sitting back and looking like in awe, laughing. And they really are, read the reports. But here's what's also happening. You have a group of four or five Republicans, which is all you need, who are willing to team up with the Democrats to pass what they call a clean continuing resolution. That's where we're going right now. These guys are willing to team up with them. And I'm just telling you, that's not gonna go well. But their view is, hey, you guys can't get us a deal on the, on the conservative side that we can sign off on, and it's a mess. So why don't we, five or six of us, team up with the Democrats, jam them, pass it through clean. That's what's going to happen if we don't see these guys get their act together. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I just, from where I sit, this is the problem. If, the, if these guys, the Gateses, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and others don't actually put something together and say, okay, here are our five demands. If we don't get this, but, but give them a target to shoot at. McCarthy right now is daring these guys to vote against it. But here's the deal, folks. We're in charge. This is the one branch that Republicans have. You have to govern when you're in charge. At some point, you make deals. And right now, the deal is pretty darn good. You heard Jim Jordan yesterday on the show. Jim Jordan is no wallflower. This is a guy who is literally, you know, the North Star to a lot of these guys in the Freedom Caucus. And they're saying, no, Chip Roy, 
hardly a wallflower, Scott Perry, Byron Donalds. Are you kidding me? These are the guys who held out on Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker for all these deals. They're saying that they're good with this 30-day short-term deal. Gates, Matt Gates went after Byron Donalds. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is, this is where we are. This is a little ridiculous that suddenly we're saying that, that Byron Donalds and Chip Roy and Scott Perry aren't conservative enough, aren't fighting for it. Are you kidding me? I get it. Sometimes you don't even get everything you want, but I don't even know what Matt Gates wants. Put your cards on the table. Tell people what you want. But right now, this idea of nebulous, like, I don't know, it's not conservative enough, a Nancy Pelosi deal. Are you kidding me? That Chip Roy has fought more battles and buyer. I mean, these guys, they're no, to, to insult them like that is ridiculous. And Gates is further attacking his criticism of McCarthy. He's going down and he's saying that he'll oust McCarthy using this motion to vacate. Okay. McCarthy then dared him. Great. Move the effing motion, he said, according to a bunch of people who were in the room. At some point, guys, get your act together. Sit down and say, this is what we need to do to pass this thing. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy. I get it. But at some point, take the best deal you can and move forward. Because I just, I've seen this movie before. And let me tell you how it ends. Not good. When Republicans shut down the government and the media and the Democrats go after every aspect of who's going to, you know, not get their school trip and how many members uh, of the military aren't getting paid and how many missions got shut down and what this means for our national security. You know who this is getting pinned on? Not Joe Biden. And right now, everybody's talking about Joe Biden and the level of incompetency of those policies, his age, his inability to do this job. We are literally taking the target, moving it from him and putting it on ourselves. And I don't even know why. Meaning, I don't know what the message is. What are these guys holding out for? Put some pressure on them. Like, start saying it's on you, and that's what McCarthy's willing to do. If, if my view is if you've got Jordan, Chip Roy, Byron Donalds, Scott Perry, all saying this is a, a deal worth fighting for, that pretty, you know, means something to me. And it should mean something to all of us. So I'm just telling you, I think that what we, we better be very careful in the next 10, 11 days where we're headed. Because if we don't get our act together, we're going to lose that majority. This is what I was talking about with impeachment a while ago. And guess what? When we do that, we have nothing. And for two years, you're going to watch this Biden administration do whatever they can if we don't get the presidency back. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also in Washington, speaking of spending coming our way, uh, Ukraine. Yep, there's a big push to spend more money on Ukraine. And President Zelensky was up at the UN. Biden spent all of yesterday at the UN talking about funding Ukraine and what it all means. Um, But guess what? There is 
uh, a big concern, both in the House and the Senate. He's going to come down, Zelensky, to Washington and make the case here. Now, the Senate is the Senate. But the interesting thing is this morning, Rand Paul came out and said, I don't really care. I'm not putting another nickel towards Ukraine. There's only so much he can do to stop it as one member, but I'm guarantee you he's going to gum this thing up. And that I don't think people in the Senate saw happening because I think the Senate was willing to give him this money. You realize we spent $130 billion already in Ukraine, $130 billion. Um, you think about it, we talked about we crossed $33 trillion in debt the other day. Uh, we're running a massive deficit. And now they're coming down here saying, hey, we want more money. And there's no accountability. I mean, that, that's what I think is so insulting as a taxpayer. Um, Byron Donalds said, to be blunt, we're running a $2 trillion deficit and money we give to Ukraine, we're borrowing from our future. This is him continuing. What's happened with Ukraine is frankly the fault of the leadership of Joe Biden. Let's be very clear. So don't put that on the backs of the American people. Now, if we had a commander in chief who knew how to lead as opposed to take naps, then we would be in a much better situation when it comes to Ukraine. Right, here's the thing. Not only have we given them money, we're, we've been piecemealing this thing and we haven't given them what it takes to win. If we wanted to let them win, then stop this footsie stuff with like, you can have this plane on this date, whatever. If you're truly helping them win, this has been botched. So you got McConnell and you got these other guys they are going to be fine in the Senate. But I'm telling you, in the House, this is going to be a problem. Even if you get it past Rand Paul in the Senate. So keep an eye on this because... I think in the House, McCarthy has decoupled this so it's not attached to another aid package, which is what they want, so you don't actually watch it happen. But I'll be very interested to see the reception that Zelensky gets. Because I think for a lot of these folks, they feel like, hey, we've spent a ton of money. We're not seeing the results. There's a bunch of corruption. You had to fire a bunch of people. I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is going to be a very interesting um, visit for him. Big difference from when it was nine months ago when he came down the first time. And he actually had a, a much bigger reception. I think people felt uh, much more sympathy then. Now I think it's, hey, we continue to spend a ton of money that we don't have. And, um, and I just don't see the support in the House to make it happen. I don't know where this thing is. We can't fund our own government right now. I, we're talking about this. I mean, 10 days to go and there's nothing. So... How we suddenly say, by the way, we can't help ourselves, but we're going to help Ukraine. Strategically, I don't know how that's going to work. So he's going to have his work cut out for him when he bears down here right now. Um, we'll see how that happens. The one thing about politics is the game of addition. You need more voters than less, right? And there is a lot of talk about how we grow the number of voters, uh, especially in an election year. And for a lot of us, we are in an election year. Um, there is a conservative activist, an organizer named Scott Pressler. Uh, who has been doing yeoman's work for the last several years. He organized uh, a cleanup in Baltimore in 2019 that was unbelievably successful out of nowhere, got 200 volunteers and removed 12 tons of trash from the city in 12 hours. But more importantly, he's been going around using these same skill sets from city to city, state to state, Florida, Louisiana, Kentucky, Virginia. He's in Pennsylvania now, encouraging voting, getting people who are not registered to register to vote and understand the importance and consequence of actually getting out there and being part of the electorate. So I want to talk to him about what he's doing and how we can expand his efforts. It is my pleasure to welcome in Scott Preston. 
Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, thank you, Sean, for having me. So look, I, I want to ask you this question because I was trying to describe it to my audience. How would you describe yourself? I, I said activist, organizer. What do you say? I'd say uh, flowing, long hair, majestic, <laughs> conservative activist who's here to make Joe Biden a one-term president. All right. Well, that, that'll fit. Um, I'll have to f- figure <laughs> out if we can fit that on there. So how did you, how did you start this whole idea? I mean, like, when, take me back a little ways. I know you've been involved in politics, both in Virginia and, and other places. What, what got you involved in, in specifically involved in the, in the organizing and the registration piece of this? Well, a little bit of my background, you know, I graduated from George Mason in Fairfax, Virginia, wanted to be a police officer. I couldn't find a job in my field, walked dogs for a living, went on to work at an elementary school, but I really owe my political journey to none other than President Obama. And it was the day that he was reelected in 2012 that I created my Twitter account. I ended up moving in 2014. My first job ever was helping to elect now Governor Greg Abbott in the great state of Texas. And I went on to spend two years of my life to defeat Hillary Clinton and elect Donald Trump. But it was really in 2014, organizing in Texas, working with the grassroots, door knocking, registering voters, going on college campuses that I I found my love in politics and I found my passion. And so now, I've turned this into, I'm traveling the country, spearheading voter registration efforts across the states. And I'm here to make sure that next year we have success and we win. So how do you get, fun- do you get funding for this? And who, and if so, by whom? Well, I, uh, I'm probably not the best businessman. I did create an organization called Early Vote Action, earlyvoteaction.com. But to give your viewers an example of how grassroots I am, I mean, I sleep in people's homes. I'm not staying in five-star hotels. I'm literally cuddling with people's animals, eating with them and their families as I travel the country. And so if people want to support my work, they may go to earlyvoteaction.com. But I'd even just like people's help registering voters and knocking on doors. I just want people to take action. So you've gone around you know, you're in Pennsylvania now. Uh, you've done this in Virginia. You mentioned Texas. And, and so walk me through the process. Do you just show up and say, I, I want to go down a list of folks and find out who's not registered? And I mean, because I walk, if you look at your Twitter account, it's here's how many people I got today. Here's what I'm doing. So what's the process like? Well, sometimes people will reach out to me. So they'll slide into my DMs, you know, like the National Federation of Arizona Republican Women, and they'll invite me to an event. Or they'll want me to come to Kentucky to help elect Daniel Cameron as the next governor this November. So some of it is people reaching out to me. And other things are like, for example, at Early Vote Action, we're focused on five states, Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And so over the years, I've developed relationships with people across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And so I'm here to bump up our voter registration numbers. So I went to Slippery Rock University. I'm here at Penn State University. Today, I'll be in Crawford County, PA. And we're going to be knocking on doors for our local candidates because this November, we do have a very important Pennsylvania Supreme Court election to hopefully elect Judge Carolyn Carluccio as the next justice in PA. 
And so some of it is my uh, own doing and some of it is from the community wanting me to come in. But I'm definitely focused on Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And this November, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Jersey, Virginia. And so here's the thing that I find interesting. I, I've been doing politics. My first race was in the 94 cycle. Why, why, why you? I mean, what I don't get is that these guys should be able to do this on their own. You come in and you're like, bam, 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 bam. And you put points on the board. What is it that you're doing that they need your help with? Because I feel like in some cases, it's almost like a motivational speaker. You're getting in there saying, hey, get off your butt, go out, hit, knock on these doors, get this done. Well, in part, Sean, I'm here out of necessity. I mean, look, I am not here to point fingers. I'm not here to judge. But, you know, I've been reaching out to the RNC, to the chairwoman of the party for nearly 160 days without a response. And I'm here in part because I see a void that needs to be filled. For example, let me tell you about the letter writing campaigns we're doing. I have lists of thousands of new movers to Louisiana, to Kentucky, to Pennsylvania, to Wisconsin. And the party right now is not writing letters or reaching out to these new voters. So at earlyvoteaction.com, I literally have hundreds of volunteers across the country that are writing handwritten letters that I've given them a template. I've given each of them five names and they're welcoming new voters into the party. They're making sure that they're registered to vote as a Republican in states like Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, that they have closed primaries. And I'll tell you, based on voter registration data, these letter writing campaigns have been so successful that in Louisiana, for example, we're seeing a 25% return on investment of the people that we write to being registered to vote and being registered to vote as a Republican. And so there's the success to our methodology. So how much of this you mentioned is, is data driven? In other words, are you looking at voter registration unless you mentioned the new movers, these people, like, is it you're, you're basing this off of voter registration lists of, of people that are registered that uh, haven't voted? Like, what's the methodology behind this? Well, the methodology is we're focusing on people that are not registered to vote. Okay. So this is growing the electorate. We literally have the list of people that aren't registered. And the way that I'm able to track data is, for example, in Louisiana, we get data on the first of every month. So I had September 1st for the August data. And I've been able to track that in the last couple months leading up to August, the Republican Party was only gaining or losing 600 voters. It was either gaining 600 or they saw a decrease in their numbers. But since we instituted the letter writing campaign in this last month, we saw a bump of 1,600 new registered Republicans. And even furthermore, the Democratic Party of Louisiana is losing people. And I know this is anecdotal, but I think it's also important to note that the Democratic Party of Louisiana is losing Black voters. And because of demographic data, I can tell you certainly that Republicans are gaining Black voters in Louisiana. So, so the work that the, we what, do at Early Vote Action is 100% data-driven. So Scott, when, when you, I mean, like I said, these are numbers that are 
clear as day. When you bring these to the campaign down in Louisiana to the governor's race or to the state party, what do they say? Well, as a PAC, as a political action committee, I am not legally or lawful allowed to work with candidates. Of course, my work is going to help elect Jeff Landry as the next governor of Louisiana and to elect Cameron as the next governor. So take the coordination aside. I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, are people taking notice of this and saying, what is this guy doing? He doesn't even live here. He's coming down, bam, 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 a letter writing campaign and turning the tide. Well, I think the relationships that I've built speak volumes. I do have a relationship with Florida GOP leaders, LA GOP, Oregon GOP, PA GOP, MV GOP. So there are leaders in the Republican Party across the country that are working uh, hand in glove with our volunteers. Well, as a Virginia, I know you you spent a lot of time in, in Virginia, Virginia Beach, Fairfax, you mentioned. Uh, since we have elections, I'm hoping you could spend a little quality time in the Commonwealth before the election. Oh, I promise you. Well, to your viewers, Sean, to everybody watching this right now, I'm making a plea to you. If you live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, this is so important. We have legislative elections this November, and we have every seat in the House of Delegates, basically the House of Representatives, and every seat in the Senate that is up for election. Now, we currently, in 2021, elected a Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, and we flipped the House of Delegates. We control two chambers of the legislature. If we in Virginia flip two state Senate seats this November, then Governor Glenn Youngkin will have an entirely Republican legislature. And you hear me loud and clear. That means that on day one in 2024, we will be able to govern conservatively. That means that people are going to be moving to Virginia from across the country because they're going to be inspired by Republican leadership. And furthermore, to everybody that wants to make Joe Biden a one-term president, if you Virginians give us that Republican legislature this November, Virginia is in play next year in 2024. So when you do this and you get the results that you do, are people saying, I need to join this effort? I want to expand it? How do I, I just, I feel like at some point the numbers are what they are and there's got to, a lot of attention has got to come to it from these other states where they say, I, I saw what you did in Louisiana. I saw what you did in Florida. Can you come to, you know, Kentucky or Montana or whatever? But what, what kind of attention are you getting from other Republican leaders because of the results? Well, Florida, I think is the best example that we flipped Florida Republican. I mean, a state that in 2012 had 500,000 more Democrats. Today in 2023, we have 500,000 more Republicans than Democrats registered, which is unprecedented, which is historic. And, you know, I started leading the charge in 2019 talking about the voter registration deficit and the need to concentrate on voter registration. So I've been from Duval to Osceola to Seminole to Pinellas County, which we flipped from blue to red, to Miami-Dade, to Hillsborough, Tampa. And our success in Florida, for example, Pennsylvania is 2012's Florida. 
And my goal is to do to Pennsylvania what we did flipping Florida from blue to red and also expand those efforts to make sure that Arizona stays red, to flip Nevada from blue to red, to flip North Carolina, which coincidentally has more Democrats than Republicans. But I'll tell you, everywhere that we have instituted my voter registration methodology, we are seeing results. Uh, You know, you mentioned uh, non-voters. There was a story in USA Today about a week ago that said that there's roughly um, 90 to 100 million citizens that are registered that aren't voting. And they did a little deep dive on these folks. And they said, the irony is, is that when you really break them down, they would tend to support President Trump, meaning these folks are registered to vote they're just not voting. But here's the, I want to read yes. you a part of this. It said, the irony of ironies, when the unlikely voters were asked why they were registered but not voting next year, about 13% used the words, election is rigged, corruption, unfair, don't like the voting process, mail-in ballots. These have been Trump's words the past five years, and the very people that could elect him have totally soured on elections in voting. So this is USA Today, a liberal newspaper saying, if that the Trump message is in some way inhibiting a lot of registered voters from actually casting a ballot from him because his message seems to be deterring them. So number one, are you doing anything to get these folks? And number two, how can we turn these people out? Yes, well, I want to make it clear. I'm staying neutral in the presidential primary. I am not endorsing Okay, fair enough, but how do we get these people out? Yes, well, number one, Uh, We're focusing on adding to the electorate the unregistered voters. We're doing it by micro-targeting as well. For example, 40% of Wisconsin hunters are not registered to vote. So it's about finding what is the issue that appeals to the voter. Because I can't just come out to people and talk about illegal immigration if Second Amendment is their issue. What does the voter care about and how can I target them, get them registered to vote and get them out to vote? Now, it also is an educational campaign. For example, our truckers who supply our country, they are mostly conservative. Truckers may not be home on Election Day. Truckers are going to be outside the state. So it also means having a robust get out the vote campaign that if I have a group of people like pilots and police officers that are maybe not going to be in town during Election Day, it's making sure that they are educated on early in-person voting on getting a mail-in ballot, on talking about how, for example, that in Pennsylvania, we have 50 days of early voting, and they, instead of using a drop box or using the United States postal system, they can vote early in person at their elections office. So a lot of this is talking about the different ways that we can stop shenanigans, we can mitigate election fraud, and we can lock in every vote to make sure that every Republican is getting his or her vote in on or before election day. You know, you mentioned you've been tweeting at the chairwoman of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, um, noting how many days it's been. What, has anyone from the National Party acknowledged you and your work? Well, I'll tell you that, I mean, I wanna be classy and I wanna be respectful, but I will say that recently, I have worked with Casey Crasby, who is the treasurer of the RNC out of Kentucky, because we're working to make sure that we're electing Daniel Cameron as the next governor of that state. And so Casey Crosby, fact check me, I believe is the number three in charge at the RNC. 
So there are some leaders that do see value in the work that I'm doing. And you know what? I want to make it clear. If the chairwoman ever reaches out to me, if Drew McKissick ever reaches out, I'm a team player and my door is always open. But this, and I know Harmeet Dillon was very supportive of you when she was Absolutely. running. Absolutely. But why, what I don't get is, is winning in politics is a game of addition, not subtraction. You are out there. The thing that's interesting to me is the, the work that you're doing is the expensive work. It's, the, it's time consuming and it's expensive. To do paid efforts on this front are very expensive. And what you're doing is relieving a financial burden from the national party that they need to be spending on, on data and other things. I would just assume that they would appreciate what you're doing and would be calling you back. Is there some, I mean, what am I missing? Is there, did you, did you guys have a falling out or are they just, I, I, I don't get it. It would be nice to receive accolades for the work that we're doing. But look, at the end of the day, Sean, it's not about me. This isn't about I get even it, President but I, Trump. But, but if this I were them, I'd say, Scott, Joe Biden. right, this isn't, I, I'm not, I don't, I get you don't want the accolades. It's very humble yeah. of you. But what I'm telling you is, is that as someone who worked at the party before, I'd want to call you and be like, hey, Scott, you're totally helping out the team. Thanks for doing this. You know, what can we do to support your efforts? It would be nice. And again, if that happens, excellent. But until then, we're going to continue to lead by example at earlyvoteaction.com. So you also tweeted out, Democrats use an army of influencers who are dedicated to reaching the youth. Is the GOP doing the same? What do you think that the party needs to do more of? And, and what do you see as the differences between what the, the Democratic Party is doing and the Republican Party to get people engaged and motivated and registered? We'll look at Joe Biden's army of influencers that I've seen. I'm not going to name their names because I don't want to give them any uh, credibility. But they were all invited to the White House recently, and they're receiving the talking points, they're receiving the memos, they're receiving information to put on TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And so they're all swimming in the same direction, and they're using all of their influence in order to reelect Joe Biden. And they're, they have a message for the youth. But I will tell you, Sean, having just spent the last three days at two different universities that are supposed to be liberal here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the issues that I'm seeing is young people care about the unaffordable nature that we're experiencing. Gas is too high. Food is too high. Inflation. They can't buy a car. They want to raise a family. They don't want the sexualization of children. They don't want uh, the illegal immigration that we just had an illegal immigrant on the loose here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. They don't want the censorship. And so these, and they want freedom. They don't want the lockdowns. They don't want the mask mandates. But nobody is talking about these issues. Nobody is giving this package to the youth. And that's why, in part, I'm doing this work because I'm not seeing it from the party. I'm not seeing it from the RNC. And that means that we have to do it. So when you go on a college campus, like you mentioned, you're there at, at Penn State today. What's the reaction that you get? Oh, well, I think at first, because I'm six foot five, I got all this long hair and boots. I probably stick out just a little bit here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But I'll tell you, I had some kids coming up to me saying, you're Scott Pressler. So the message has been resonating that I am reaching out to the youth. But I talked to them. I said, look, if you don't want the mask mandates, if you don't want the lockdowns, 
that are coming. And because we have a Democratic Governor Shapiro in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, if you want the freedom to choose that you don't have the government telling you what you can and cannot do, then register to vote as a Republican and help elect Judge Carolyn Carluccio to the Supreme Court this November. When you break it down and you talk about those issues, like, for example, that America is supplying the rest of the world with funding while we have 500,000 homeless Americans in our country. When you talk about the America First mantra, that resonates with Gen Z. How many other people have you come across that are trying to do what you're doing? I think there is a willingness and there is a motivation of people to help, but people don't know how to. They don't know how to get started. They want to, and that's why I'm here. So when people say, Scott, I want to do something, what can I do? I live in Connecticut. Then I'll say, hey, if you will mail five letters that you will provide five postage stamps for, I'll help you make sure that you're registering new voters in Louisiana, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, or we're actually doing a day of action this Saturday, Sean, September 23rd. And I'm asking everybody to download my mobile application, Early Vote Action. And it's really cool because what it does is it gives gives you a list of registered Republican voters in your neighborhood within a mile radius. And the reason why that's important, and some people may say, Scott, what about the independent voter? What about the Democrat? In my opinion, in this off-year election in 2023, this is a Republican-based turnout. If we simply got out every Republican, we'd win the election. And so I'm asking people to knock on five doors this Saturday in Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. And if you live in Arizona, certainly you can help get out the vote for the primary next year. If you live in Anchorage, Alaska, you can help gather signatures to help stop ranked choice voting in that state. But my goal at Early Vote Action is to empower people that want to help but don't know how to. Yeah. Uh, ranked choice voting is like a trigger word for me because I think it is a scam perpetrated it by is. the left. Yeah, I'm glad you're addressing that as well. Scott, let me just ask you, Will, before we before we let you go, because every second that I'm taking up as a voter that you're not registering, um, what it, if if people want to help, bottom line it for us, I know you mentioned the, the day of action this Saturday. I'll, I'll tell you, it's my birthday on Saturday. So I hope people give you, <laughs> give, for, for my birthday, go out and help Scott register voters in those states. Um, what is it? What else can they do to help this effort? Well, again, if you are able to knock on the doors, please knock on five this weekend. If not, and let's say that you have great handwriting and you have plenty of time, then please go to earlyvoteaction.com, sign up as a volunteer, and sign up to write postcards. And literally, you'll receive an email from me. I do all this work myself, giving you a template, giving you names to write to, and you will help be able to register voters to make sure that we have victory this November. We also have phone calling. I mean, we're building coalitions across the country from moms to Black Muslims in Pennsylvania to the Amish community to (laughs) students. So we're also doing coalition building across the country, and we'd love to work with you at earlyvoteaction.com. Okay. Scott Pressler, thanks for all the work you're doing. And uh, it's, it's great to, to know that somebody took action and, and is getting results out there. So appreciate you joining us and thanks for all your work. 
hey, thank you, Sean. Happy birthday. Thank you. All right. I love that discussion with Scott because when I was at the RNC, I used to hear, here's what the party should do. Here's what the party should do. Well, guess what? The party is 200 people at a building in Washington, D.C. You are the party. He is the party. We are the movement. If you don't like something, go do it. Get out there. Look at what he's doing. He's in Pennsylvania, Virginia, Kentucky, Florida, Louisiana. He's making it happen and he's getting real results. And this is what we have to do. Politics is a game of addition, as I said earlier. Look at what Scott Pressler is doing. He's going out and putting points on the board. He's growing the pie and he's explaining to him why their vote is important and why engaging is important. This is what we need more of. It's expensive, as I said. The party can't pay for this. This Outside groups usually do this, and that's what the Dems do. Scott Pressler is showing. So go sign up for his app. If you can't help him, do something on this Saturday. Give him those five people that you can reach out to to make sure that they're engaged, because especially for us in Virginia and people all over the country, New Jersey, this is going to be critical. Tomorrow, we've got a great panel discussion for you, as always, on Thursdays. And then Friday, Andy Puzder, the former CEO of CK Restaurants, which is the parent company of Hardee's and Carl's Jr. Uh, he was Trump's Labor Department nominee. We're going to talk to him about Bidenomics, the economy, what's going on in business, what the climate change and how much of that is real as far as its impact on business and, and leaders. So we've got a couple great days of shows headed your way. Thanks for all your support being here. I look forward to seeing you right back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.